I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. All right, guys, we are back with uh, with another uh, episode, walking through this document from the bishops. And, Aren't you uh, supposed to say, like, hey, hey another great... That no, that's... A I mean, document episode. from the bishops, uh, Jesse. I was at the bottom, and I had to scan all the way to the top, and I didn't have it, like, <laughs> ready. the name? Yeah, so, okay, the document's called The Mystery of the Eucharist in the Life of the Church. And so we we got through uh, the first uh, nine uh, numbers last week. But, yeah. uh, Chris, you wanted to give a little more information about why why we're starting here and maybe where we're going with this? Ah, uh, yeah. You know, actually, this could or possibly not, probably not make good reading, but there's been a lot of back and forth, especially between Dennis and I, as this uh, season began with all the things we could talk about concerning the Eucharist from, uh, from the fathers to uh, typologies, to the council of Trent, to, uh, the general instruction of the Roman Missal. I mean, there's no, you know, end to the things, the documents and the texts and the authors and the saints and whatnot that you could Chris read. wanted to talk about excommunication a lot, but I talked to him. About that. <laughs> but we'll get to that. <laughs> yes. Anyways. Uh, so this document though, we thought would be a good uh, kind of uh, entry into the uh, well. I mean, we did the we did the pew uh, thing, and we did a little bit of entry before. But this document from the USCCB we thought would be. Uh, I mean, it's kind of this is their plan, and this is kind of their script or their their own in the, their own words what they were doing. And they say in this that that we have offered this document and these reflections as kind of a starting point. We thought, well, mm-hmm. this in the end might be the best place for us to begin. So, but you know what? Before we begin, yeah, we have to say something totally unrelated. What happened this week involving you? Which, like a real week or like a podcast? Week? Podcast. This actual real recording day time. Actually, it was last week, I guess. Oh, well, which one was it? And it can we, do release, we reveal that? Release of our book that oh, we haven't okay. even talked about yet on this podcast oh, i don't yeah, think yeah. Well, let's do that for a second and then then we'll get back to the eucharist yeah, the yeah let's talk about us for a second yeah <laughs> you know as monsignor Manion used to say enough about me what do you think of me oh, here we go <laughs> enough about us what do you think of us uh, yeah so there's a book we put together with uh, another ally grad alexis gutarna thanks to jesse's masterful bringing of people together. Oh, start. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that is a gift you have, Jesse, for arranging things and p- putting people in the right place to accomplish stuff. And uh, Center Press had this idea for a book on solemnities, the 17 solemnities of the church here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you wrote a thousand words on each one. I wrote a thousand words on each one. And yeah. Alexis Gertarna wrote a thousand words on each one. What did you write about, Chris? Uh, I did the sort of historical, biblical, liturgical foundations of uh, the solemnity. So, and what did I do, Chris? You uh, uh, see do everything at the last second. <laughs> no. You've got in some in, in a lot of ways. You have the best job, Dennis, because you I get do. to find these beautiful pictures that everybody loves to look at. Oh, mm-hmm. Dennis, is so wonderful! It's not like you painted the things for crying out loud. But people treat you <laughs> like you did. And, 
anyway, so you so there's you, you selected a, a piece of art that illustrated uh, the the solemnity and kind mm -hmm. of point out some of the fascinating things about it to help people to pray better with uh, yes, and you have to beauty. work on your your envy there, Chris. Yeah, and then Alexis did stuff on how to live it out in daily life, right? Processions and food and games and music and things like that, mm -hmm. right? So the whole thing's called what? Solemnities, a tapestry of divine beauty. Is that the name? <laughs> I should know the name, That's but right. I didn't pick the name. <laughs> anyway, it's available now from Ascension Press. They call it an, what do they call it? An heirloom book or something. It's lovely. It's big. It's colorful. Not exactly yeah. coffee table book, but you could put it on your coffee table yeah. and have your yeah. neighbors admire it. Do you have a copy yet? No, not yet. No, not I, I pre-ordered it. I never got it yet. I think, I it think was, there it was, was a slight shipping, delay, right? Right, something happened with the supplier or the printer or something. Anyway, I think it was November 4th that it was available for shipping. So that's a while mm. right now. So anyway, that was it. So, you know, thumbs up to you, Jesse. Thumbs up to you, Chris. And, uh, yeah, you too, Dennis. You, know, and you tolerate me too. Okay, so now what do we think of the Eucharist? We, you know what we think of our book. Actually, it's a pretty awesome book, I have to say. But so the bishops want to revive interest in the Eucharist. But, you know, lots of people want to revive, revive interest in the Eucharist. But it seems like. We're so ignorant that the bishops are like, uh, we better do some quick, you know, remedial <laughs> work here. Thanks to the Pew survey. Yeah. So we got all the way to divinization last time. That gets me all hot and bothered, as you know. Yeah, divinization is a great that thing. That was the end of paragraph nine. That all this Eucharist stuff is not about mortal sin or not mortal sin if you don't go to Mass on Sunday. It's us being projected like a missile, right? A balling all the way up to divinization, to be like God, to be made like God, to be one with God, a unification with the creator himself, which is a quote from that big time right wing nut job, Pope Francis. So he uh, <laughs> says that the point of the Eucharist is to bring us to the holy wedding feast, to unification with the creator himself, because if we become like God, then we'll be happy with God. So that's it. Now, the problem is, how do we get here, Chris? To divinization? Well, how do we get to, to even get to the Eucharist? How do we yeah. begin to comprehend the tremendous mm. gift offered by Christ yeah. in his incarnation? Jesus. Yes, well, that's it's... actually the first sentence of paragraph 10. So I was oh, I was it? giving Chris an, <laughs> an easy oh, handoff I'll, there. I'll pay attention here. To begin to comprehend the tremendous gift offered by Christ in his incarnation, death, and resurrection, oh, we must yeah. first realize... How truly profound is our alienation from the source of life due to sin? Wow, that's cheerful, huh? So it is about sin, Dennis. You just said it wasn't about sin, but it is about sin. Well, you know, I was uh, thinking about this um, as, I, as I'm teaching the music class this semester, and I get all hot and bothered again about Jelano's famous book, Music and uh, Voices and Instruments in Christian Music. And he makes the point that our... Uh, assessment of our sins at the beginning of the mass right at the beginning of the mass let's call to mind our sins or acknowledge our sins and the very next thing is the curious it's like it's kind of like the oh crap moment right oh man my <laughs> sins lord have mercy and then you realize you're saved hmm. and then you sing the gloria right that's the response that's the thank you for saving me so you know we wouldn't need the Eucharist if we didn't have sin. So it's not really bad news. Anyway, keep going, Chris. Say something smart. And I'll let you actually talk. Yeah, time. well, it is. Uh, I remember reading, this is somewhere in the catechism where it says, uh, where it talks about the doctrine of original sin and how you can't get that wrong without also getting the doctrine of the good news wrong. So it's kind of, it says it's like the flip side of the good news. 
And it's like, you got bad news, you got good news. So I think the the context, you know, like you're saying, Dennis, of, of this great gift is uh, it's it, its point is that it's it's a result of you know a, of a great fall. It, it's God's response to, uh, well, to they'll go on to talk about uh, in number number ten, eleven. They're talking about you know sin is really selfishness, choosing ourselves over over God, and you know the the antidote of that was selflessness is God giving himself entirely to us. And so, so yeah, again, part of that, you know, creation, uh, uh, what's, what's, how did Pope Francis say it, uh, uh, projected towards divinization. Part of understanding that is that, um, you know, the, the, the backstory to this is that we ended up choosing ourselves and only when God also chose us, I suppose you want to put it that way. Could we start to tend toward uh, divinization and recreation in heaven and by means of, of the Blessed Sacrament? Right, because you all have houses full of kids and have had for a number of years now, right? They come out of the womb, and what does every kid want? They don't care about what's theirs. They don't care about justice. They just give everything away. They say, this is not mine. This is yours, right, to their brothers and Wait, sisters. Is that your experience? Who's Maybe... Maybe your kids, uh, Jesse. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. They're like, mine, that's not fair. This is mine, 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 mine. Right? No, that's right. As, Who teaches them to do that? It's like they don't even need to be taught that. It's just, they, you're right. They come out of the womb saying, mine, mine. Right. More, more, mine, mine. And, you know, kids have often have beautiful, generous moments, right, of sharing. And, you know, what's great about them is they're so genuine in their love, but boy, are they genuine in their fallenness too. Mm. And so, you know, a lot of parents, why did you say sit still, go in your room, do your homework, all that stuff. It's like overcome this desire to, um, to be interested only in yourself. However, we have the, the good news, Chris, or the happy fault, right? That earned for us so great a savior, number 12 says, if the old Adam fell and ruined everything with the old Eve, who do we have now? Yeah, uh, well, we have the new Adam, right? So, uh, yeah, the old Adam choosing. <laughs> uh, was that uh, real Paradise Lost? Do you remember reading that? Is that Milton? Uh, yeah, I think it is. Isn't that where the line comes? Um, uh, 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 not, no. Is he see the one that flips around? Uh, not my will, but thine be done. Not thy will, but mine be done. Oh. Um, I think that's from my paradise last. Anyway, yeah. So you have this first Adam who says, uh, uh, not thy will, but mine be done. Then you have the second Adam that shows up who says just the opposite, not my will, but thine be done. And, you know, here we are uh, kind of descendants of both of them. And so we're a little, we're a mix of kind of uh, the natural Adam and the supernatural Adam, the first Adam and the second Adam trying to mired with the selfishness, which they're talking about number 11 and trying to convert over to that selflessness of the new, uh, the new Adam. And this is where, yeah, this happy fault as you have, right. This second Adam showing up, uh, at a tree, um, in a garden eventually, and, uh, kind of putting on display at this tree, this whole attitude of selflessness and given this, uh, for others. Did I mention the musical analogy of the Virgin Mary in one of our last podcasts? Does this sound familiar to you? I think you're talking about Willy Wonka. Well, I do. I've been doing that everywhere I go now. Then people must think I'm getting a kickback on that or something. It's just such a good analogy. But no, something Jelano makes a point of in his book is that there's a musical analogy to the incarnation, which is that at the fall, the 
the word gets kind of bent out of shape, right? We don't understand God's revelation that well. In fact, the song gets kind of bent out of shape, gets chaotic. He calls it satanic din. It's a lot of noise, but it's not, mm. not from God. And then the Virgin Mary says, let it be, let it be done unto me according to your word. Like the so that John Legend, right? Well, let not it John be Legend, John done to me according. Yeah, no, that's a, well, that's a thing. But the Virgin Mary doesn't say, I will do it. I will choose. Because who's, what does the creator do? The creator says, let there be light. Let there be this, let mm. there be that. And then the, when the new creation is happening, the Virgin Mary gets a share and she says, let it be done to me according to the word. And she's overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, the breath, the, the logos, pneuma, the breath, pneuma. the breath, right? And then because she's overshadowed by the breath, what takes up residence in her womb? The word, the word, the word, right? I could say who. Mm. So breath and word, which are the two foundations of, of song, right? You have an idea and it's in your mind and then to be communicated and realized to the other. The new song is born into the world through breath and word, just mm. like God's spirit went across the waters and let it be done was done. So it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, this restoration of the world. But it's but it's uh, the the reception of that and and the um, surrendering of of, mm -hmm. uh, of that rather than the like forceful, like God said, let it be and commanding it into into existence. It's right. it's surrendering surrendering oneself, which is the ultimate act of humility, which right. is a conduit of this grace which combats sin. Right. She says, let it be done to me according to your word, which is the fundamentally kind of active, but also receptive, passive posture in that sense where Christ, God says, let it be done and it's done. But she echoes his words in the recreation, God's plan of recreation, mm -hmm. because it's God's plan. It's anyway, it's really cool, right? So the body of Christ is this combination of word and breath. And this is how God's love song of the Trinity comes to earth and all the things you love to talk about, Chris. And he, you know, he does all the stuff and he teaches and he governs and he does all these heals. And then he goes back to the father and what <laughs> he's like, I want this to be with, I want to be with you forever, but I can't. So he identifies his body which just been sent down to earth as the word and the breath, the power of the Holy spirit, the revelation of God uh, under the form of bread. Kind of tricky though, right here in 13, you know, Jesus took bread, said the blessing broke it, gave it to his disciples. Wouldn't it make a little more sense if we had like dripping bloody flesh on the altar? Because then we'd be like, oh, yeah. Then we wouldn't have any arguments about is this the body or not, because it would look like messy dripping flesh. Yeah, but nobody, or, or would, make, nobody would want to eat it, though. Yeah, or That's it would make body. sense that he would say something, this is like my body, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, that makes more logical sense to us. Right, so he has to equate his body with something that's proper to us and fitting uh, to us. He's still the offerer. He's still the victim. He's still the offering, but he equates these two things. And this is the, this is the hurdle for a lot of people, right? If you just live in a scientist, scientific kind of world that uh, doesn't look like it. So therefore it couldn't be it. Uh, it doesn't look like blood. So it can't be blood. It doesn't look like body. can't be body, but he has put it into this new form that's proper to us. Mm -hmm. You're looking very thoughtful, Chris. You've been stroking your beard. Mm -hmm. yes. You need a pipe there. Yes. That's because it's all frizzy today. I'm just trying to get it under control. A pipe, yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, with this, this paragraph 13, you know, starting with the Last Supper, but, you know, what is, I mean, this section in the, in the letter is not about necessarily the Last Supper, 
although I suppose it is, it's the heading is the sacrifice of Christ. And I think, mm-hmm. well, I mean, how do you think most people would answer that? Is is the when you go to Mass and you celebrate the Eucharist, is are you connecting most intently to the Last Supper or to uh the cross on Calvary? Or to the temple victims in the in the in Jerusalem temple or something else. Or Abraham and Isaac. No, 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 no. Hey, I'll ask the questions here. You only have two, you only have two options does but i the, want more options no, no give jesse, me more jesse so i mean does does the mass evoke the last supper more to you or bloody dripping flesh to you it seems more last suppery sure right? it does those are the words that are it does spoken for instance yeah is that the right is but is that the right answer should it well he says this is my body which will be given up for you yeah, yeah. see i think what what 13 and 14 are trying. I, I mean, the, the central point of the Eucharist is the Good Friday cross. It's not the Last Supper. Now, I mean, in the Last Supper, you know, it's about this body that will be given up to you at Mass in 2022. It's this body that has been given up for you. But the the kind of the connecting point between Last Supper and Mass today is the cross. I and mean, that's the that's the you know, X that marks the spot, if you want to put it that way. Um, but, you know, to your point, when you're talking about, you know, why doesn't he give us bloody dripping flesh and things like that in, in, right. Well, the kind of the answer is, of course he does. I mean, that's the, the res sacramenti of, of what's going on at the mass and even the, the, the last supper, but again, also like you kind of suggested, it's uh, kind of that Thomistic thing about that, which is received is received in the mode of the receiver. I mean, is that we don't eat, bloody dripping flesh in a, in a course of events. It, yeah, it'd be gross have to you, us. Have you guys seen some of those Eucharistic miracles where it turns into tissue? Do you remember, I mean, mm-hmm. have you heard what tissue, what type of bodily cardiac tissue? tissue, always cardiac yeah. tissue, right? And it's always a universal receiver or a universal donor blood type, AB, AB negative or whatever, B positive, something. But see, the, the weird thing is when it goes that way, it's actually the inversion of it's the miracle is that it becomes ordinary, right? The, the real miracle is that it it becomes sacramentally mm-hmm. present, right? Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, we, we'll we'll have to do a podcast on Eucharistic miracles. But yeah, I mean, yeah, to the since you brought it up, I mean, those, you know, when, when, when the host does turn into a piece of dripping flesh or something like that, you know, it's, I think what Saint, see this, I want to go back and review this, what Saint Thomas, for example, will say it's, it's not as if the the veil of the bread and wine has been opened and you're actually seeing what's there. I think what he's saying is it's it's not really that. It's like you have a miracle times two. It's uh, you've got a miracle stacked on top of a miracle. Does that make any sense to you? Uh, it's 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 again. It's not like the the veils are being pulled aside and you're really getting to you're removing the veils or the mystery of the miracle it's rather it's doubling down on the mysteriousness of what's happening because that's uh that's a miracle beyond as you say dennis uh, you, you know the being turned into into the appearances of bread but anyway i think i'm rambling there but so give me a chance to go review that but let's do a show on uh, eucharistic miracles i think i cut you but, off jesse did you have a comment on on that no i was just gonna say like you know beyond all of that also living cells like cells that are actually alive uh under the microscope not even like oh those used to be red blood cells another day no they're like moving around and alive (laughs) like living tissue yeah 
But that would be kind of gross to actually receive on your tongue on Sunday, wouldn't it? You know, it's this funny thing that when you veil something, when you hide its majesty to make it something we can deal with, it can become kind of ho-hum, right? But if you leave it exposed all the time, it might be too much for us to bear, or we might just get tired of its majesty. You know, the host by itself doesn't look like much. You put it in a monstrance, now it like radiates, you know, the appearance of radiation, radiating light or whatever with the various rays that come out and the gems and everything. So it's so hidden that it needs that to be known to us. But here's the sacrifice thing, right? If you're talking about sacrifice, and this is a big Reformation versus Catholic distinction too, is the mass a sacrifice? Well, no, scripture says only one sacrifice once and for all. So how can we have another sacrifice every day in the thousand churches across the, the country? And it's actually not that hard, but I don't know. People fought about it for centuries, but it's not that hard a thing <laughs> to realize. You don't think it is? Chris, what's the answer? <laughs> well, don't say it's not that hard and throw it over to me. I'm like, oh, all right. It's really hard. So I'll take care of it for you. <laughs> No, there's one sacrifice, and it's okay. an eternal sacrifice. Okay, that's okay. the key thing, right? So there's a historical event that lasted so many minutes. We're not doing that again. It's just that when you understand Christ's divinity as outside of time, even in his humanity was inside of time, his offering to the Father is an eternal act. So we don't re-sacrifice, but represent. That's the typical language, yeah, representation. Yeah. So the image I like to use there, and I don't know if I used it less, Last semester is, you know, pick your favorite Broadway show. These days, it's probably Hamilton, right? And there's Hamilton play. You go to Broadway in uh, Wisconsin, Dennis. No, well, wherever you go in Milwaukee or your local (laughs) theater company in Prairie du Chien or wherever it is you go, your kids are all the, we have a little theater here in the town here in Atchison and pretty much the kids of the professors are in all the Uh shows. It's pretty nice. But Behind the curtain is this eternal Hamilton, right? And you want to do Hamilton. <laughs> you don't just want to watch Hamilton. But if you did, you would pull the curtain back and there's the eternal Hamilton going on, right? And then if you said hmm. the words of Hamilton and sang the song of Hamilton, you'd be participating in this eternal Hamilton. You wouldn't make a new Hamilton. It's just ongoing. Hmm. And you join in every so often and make it knowable. The sacrifice of the son to the father's ongoing, eternal offering of the son. And every so often... We kind of open the curtain, see it, hear it, and do it. And then when Mass is over, we kind of close mm-hmm. it again, but the sacrifice doesn't stop. And so that's this re-presentation. There's probably a better word, you know, like re-participation or re-realization. Yeah, but you are right, though, Dennis. That's the that's the word that this document and so many documents do. So like in 14 there, it says, um, uh, as a memorial, the Eucharist is not another sacrifice, but the re-presentation of the sacrifice of Christ. And I think, you know, you know, to to maybe to help make this point easy, as, as you say, or easier, as you say, I mean, it's the same sacrifice because the the, the priest who offered the sacrifice is the same one, and the, the the oblation that is offered is the same one, and even the location from which it is offered, namely the cross, is the same one. So, you know, if you have this eternal Hamilton going on behind the scenes, you know, and you really wanted to to manifest, well, imagine you have, you know, I don't know, was there like an original cast on Broadway? Is that yeah, yeah. Lin-Manuel you, Miranda. Oh, really? Okay, whatever. Uh, so imagine you have the, 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 the same, I mean, you are tapping into the same reality um, with the same actor and the same gift and on the same location. All of those being sort of sacramentally now 
the means of that is is the sacramental signs but in essence in reality uh it's christ himself being offered to the father on calvary eternally that you can sort of tap into each time mm-hmm. you go to mass and, and you get recapitulated by the best singer on the stage right so whatever you sing comes out the singer's voice is this awesome broadway quality this so we're members of christ's body and his our offerings joined to his offering and so here's this reality it's an eternal ongoing reality into which we sometimes step and participate and so the more you participate in it the more you become like it and it's not really logical to be at mass all day but you know we have monks here at saint benedict's abbey here on campus and they do their best, right, to pray all day, to read, to go to the liturgy of the hours, the work of God is it's really, really uh, tough. Most of us can't do that, but we get to do it sometimes. And again, it's not proper to us to eat bloody, gross flesh, right? So 15 says it's a sacrificial meal. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, so this sacrifice, which is the real deal, the heart of the matter uh, of, of the Mass, you know, it's not like... Oberammergau or something like that, you know, that the priest is doing, you know, reenacting, um, being nailed to the cross or, or something. Or the like pa- that. the Passion of Christ, the movie. Right, right, right. So that that sacrifice now takes the form of a meal. It's a sacrifice that you can eat. And in I don't know, I suppose uh, we should loop around and revisit this again too. That. Uh, uh, part of the consummation, at least in the old covenant, it may be even prior to that or outside of uh, that of the chosen people, was that uh, the priest or somebody like him had to complete the sacrifice by eating it. And Absolutely. If, and if you, yeah, so there always had been sort of a meal aspect associated with the with the sacrificial aspect, and you know, even to um, again, we'll get back to this. Bouye would Louis Bouye would say that you know it's really the Maybe this is because he was a, a one-time Lutheran. I don't know. Uh, but he would say, you know, the essence of sacrifice is sharing a meal with the divinity. Now, if you're going to eat something, you got to kill it first, or you have to burn it up and cook it first and things like that. And so kind of the the annihilation or the, uh, you know, the, the, the killing, the slaying part, well, that was just a... That wasn't the essence. That was just a necessary preliminary before you're gonna before you eat that hamburger. You've got to kill the cow and cook it, something like that. But also, that's what like the Passover. I mean, exactly. Right? Bingo. <laughs> but yeah. So, but the, but the fact that this sacrifice on Calvary now takes the form of a meal, you know, you know, kind of br- because it's proper to us, but it's also proper to you know, I suppose the, in the history of religions of offering sacrifices is. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's part parcel of the Eucharistic mystery, and you know, for a while there's big battles. Is is the mass a sacrifice or is it a meal? Do you remember talks like this, Dennis? And depending on what you said, your altar was going to look like either a table, or you know, a big stone slab or something like that. And so it was important to get that uh, question right. Well, which which one is it? It's a sacrificial meal. It's a sacrificial meal. Yeah. 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 That sacrifice on Calvary now is taking the form not of a reenactment but of a kind of a meal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this my honeyitis is going to flare up right now. Jean Honey, right? He he makes that Are you getting a that... kickback from him too? Willy Wonka no, well, he's, and Jean he's, Honey? Uh, he's long deceased, I think. But um, the idea, part of the reason we don't understand Mass as a sacrifice because we don't understand sacrifice, right? We think sacrifice is like suck it up and be a doormat, right? That's sacrifice. In the old days, you, a sacrifice was a substitution. It was a victim who substituted for you. So the high priest would put his hands 
on the animal, and then it would be identified with him. And then it would be sent into the heavenly realm because you can't send yourself in the heavenly realm without you know dying. And then it would come back, the bearer of the heavenly stuff, right? The bearer of the divinity uh, where you sent it. And then it would be eaten because you would then eat the flesh of the divinized mm. sacrificial victim who stood in for you, who should have been sacrificed. And you see, this is the ancient world. This is both in the pagan world and the Jewish world. And then Christ comes along and he's the perfect victim, right? He stands in for us, except he doesn't die. And we become him instead of it becoming us. So we have to eat. That's what, you know, that was the completion of the sacrifice in the old old uh, sacrifices. Just like the Eucharist is not completed until the priest consumes. That's one of these rules you hear. Yeah. About, right? And even, you know, on that, on that point too, I mean, uh, this is not codified in law, but, you know, what does the church want you to eat, Dennis, when you go to mass? Yourself you perfected. Yeah, but that sacrifice from that altar. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, that particular mass. Yeah, I mean, you can receive from the tabernacle. There's nothing illegal about that or anything. But um, uh, but I think the, the, the logic is the same, is that you, as a baptized person, help to offer this sacrifice. And so even you should uh, con consume that sacrifice, and not only under the form of body and flesh, but under the form of uh, blood. Uh, uh, from the chalice too. So anyway, yeah. And but, you know, to my uh, mind, the key thing here is Christ is doing this now at the right hand of the Father. Of course, He did it on the cross. He was prefigured in the Old Testament. He did lots of things while He was on Earth. And yes, it is a representation of the sacrifice of Calvary. But the reason we can do it now is because Christ is offering the sacrifice of Calvary to the Father eternally, right now, right now, yeah. right now, right now, right now, right. So it's not so much like, hey, we're doing again what happened in 33 A.D. We're doing now what's happening now, right? Christ offering that eruption of, into history mm -hmm. to the Father. Now it's an it's an it's a right now thing. Yeah. Well, that you know. Can, can I say now one more time? Go ahead. What right right now? Okay, got it. Um, Jesse loves that. Totum simul, uh, everything right now at this one moment. But in number seventeen, you know, where it's talking about the sacrifice of Christ, it ends in where you are in heaven. You know, is that uh, kind of our access to the sacrifice of Christ is uh, via heaven? That's the that's the route that we that connects us back to that. But also, you know, when we, um, you know, it, th this meal aspect is not just emulating the meal from thirty three A.D. It's it's eating yeah. a meal as it is served in uh, heaven at the wedding feast of the Lamb. So, yeah, you were able to access and have a sort of I don't know if literal is the right word, but certainly a supernatural sacramental foretaste of what heaven will taste like when you get to this eternal banquet mm -hmm. where, you know, you dine on uh, the, the, the body and blood of, uh, of the Lamb of God. Oh. With the angels and the saints and redeemed creation and all of that. So oh, think of the best wedding you've ever been to and multiply it by a gazillion, gazillion. By infinity. Yeah. yeah infinizillion. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. it. Anyway. Are we doing on time here, Jesse? We're, we're just I think carried away. Yeah, I think we. Uh, I think we can wrap up here. We just yeah. finished seventeen, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. This is our but classic it, problem. We got through three whole mm, paragraphs. Mm, we yeah. run out of stuff to say. Yeah, but we do. You know, just to make the point again. I mean, th this is just we're we're sort of uh, wetting our appetite, uh, so to speak, uh, uh, about the Eucharist, and we're going to go back and and you know try to really. Uh, you know, give the church's mind as clearly as we can on 
the mass is a sacrifice, the mass is a meal, what's the real presence, and all of these things. So we're just, uh, like the document itself says, this, these are just starting points for uh, hopefully a lot of great conversation. We'll have. Yeah, the bishops are starting points for our color commentary <laughs> that comes later. So, yeah. We That's have right. no uh, yes. great ideas about it. <laughs> No shortage of words, though. So anyway, hey, thanks to the folks in uh, Springfield, Missouri. I was there last weekend speaking about music, and we I met a number of Liturgy Guy listeners who are like, when are you starting season seven? Somebody even told me it's been 16 weeks since the last mm-hmm. episode. So God bless you for listening. We're come, We're back. We're and back. it's all Dennis's fault. So once we remedy that whole situation, then we can uh, start. I know, because I, I get shy. There's contract disputes and arbitration and things like mm-hmm. that. So, well, you know that the thing we worked out his salary. <laughs> well, we went from uh, zero to zero point zero. So yeah, we doubled yeah. it. <laughs> I get paid by the word by the word now, so I want to say a lot of words in order to get a lot of pay. The word incarnate. Mm-hmm. I'll take that. Uh, you know, the one thing I do want to say is there is no shortage of content and you know writings and musings on the Eucharist, and so. I love that we're starting here. This is kind of where the bishops are are telling us to start. But this really, Chris, you were kind of telling this before, telling us this before we started. Like this is we're starting a pretty, you know, high altitude view of all of this, and then we're going to get to really dive in deeply uh, to all of. This. So I'm very excited about this. But we're really laying a a great foundation. Uh, as we go into some other aspects of this, so 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 hang tight with us as we continue to go through this. Uh, we're, you know, I, I'm I'm very excited about this whole season, Eucharistic revival. I love it. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey Jesse, do we have a liturgy <laughs> question <laughs> or two or five? Gosh, you were you were like a little late there. So no, no, the like, doc- I just wanted to say pay another zero dollars. So. Well, I wanted to say lots of words. Every word's a dime, right? So if I keep talking. About liturgy questions and other buckets. Is that why they call I'm leaving at 3 30. I know you are. (laughs) No, I don't get paid by the word. We get paid by the question. So let's ask one. Mail call. Mail call. Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. I'm so ready for Chris to answer questions. Uh, I am probably more excited about this uh, this person's name than I am the actual question. His name is Miguel Casablanca, but uh, in his email uh, title, it says Michael Whitehouse. So, yeah. Hey, it's no Kunagunda, but we'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Kudos to you. So uh, he says, hi, liturgy guys. Hey, hey Michael Miguel. Whitehouse. Uh, my friend recently told me that the priest cannot say slash lead the prayer, uh, the mystery of faith, which, if practiced, would make it difficult for the congregation to know the correct mystery of faith response. I asked a deacon who works on liturgical issues at the diocese who said there is no instruction one way or the other per the Roman Missal. Uh, basically, he's asking, you know, what happens if you're at a mass and nobody knows which one to say? Can the priest say it? So I think it's a really good question. I never really thought about it myself. Yeah. So since I'm not smart enough to answer the question, I just fill some time in the beginning. But here, so here's the question, right? If the, <laughs> if the priest says the mystery of faith, there are options, right, on how to respond. And if he if there's no cantor, say it's a weekday, and he doesn't start the response, then how do you know which one to do, right? Now, typically the principle is 
priests don't take the part of the people, right? Things, sometimes the people respond, sometimes the priests people respond together, but this seems to be one of those things where the people respond, but how can they respond if they don't know which one to respond to? So do they break the norms that the priest at least starts the people's part, or do we just leave us all in confusion? Chris, get mm. us out of confusion. Mm. Would yeah, you call think, that mass confusion? I, I would quite literally, yeah. yeah. Real confusion. Uh, if I not think literal. the the missile and sometimes what you're getting at, Dennis, the missile and the term, mm-hmm. they oftentimes they just presume kind of a normative type of celebration, which would mean you would have a cantor or choir to to lead to lead that. And so um yeah, you know, when the before the council, this this term, the mystery of faith, was actually embedded in the the words of consecration over the over the chalice. For this is the chalice of my blood of the new and eternal covenant, the mystery of faith, which shall be shed for you and for many into the remission of sins. Um, if I ever heard where that came from, I don't remember, but it seemed a little bit out of place. So what they wanted to do is take that expression out, the mystery of faith, and provide an acclamation that might help facilitate the laity's full conscious and active and verbal or musical participation so it is meant to be sung by uh, the people now what the the order of mass uh, says is uh, the priest says the mystery of faith and the people continue acclaiming one of those things what the what the germ says uh, this is at 151 after the consecration when the priest has said the mystery of faith the people pronounce the acclamation using one of the prescribed formulas so i think we can say in a perfect situation the priest would say the mystery of faith and the people without the priest would do one of the acclamations but um like you say dennis if if you don't have a cantor you don't have anybody lead that then i think practically speaking the the best option is to have the priest uh begin it i think actually i was trying to look at this uh after the question start it's the same with the lamb of god it says the people start the lamb of god the priest doesn't but if he doesn't do it like at a 6 30 a.m sunday mass the people are just not going to do it look at each other and if the priest doesn't do the doxology the congregation just jumps in right is that how that works too the through him with him in him (laughs) (laughs) i'm kidding (laughs) kidding i'm kidding just a joke uh all right that's what i think miguel i hope that answers your question and if you have a question for us you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys thank you and god God bless. bless Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end. Our hosts are Chris, Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Carsons, Dennis, Big McNamara, and Jesse Y.O.Y.O. Weiler. Our producers are Michael, Don't Be So Coy, and Nathan, First Round Draft Pickman. Our epiclesis inspector is Isabel Ringing. Our liturgical bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano. Our official aerobics instructor is Jen Uflecht. Our enforcer of choral discipline is Don B. Flat. Our official rubrics interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our self-gift provider is Kenosis. Our simplicity enforcer is Fran Siskin. And lastly, our crack team of confessors is Dewey, Shrivam, and Howe. And even though overstoles become understoles when they hear us say it, we are the, the Liturgy, Liturgy Guys. Guys.